Revelation 12 tonight as we continue our study of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. I believe that the chapter we're going to be looking at tonight is one of the most powerfully encouraging chapters in all the Word of God, and I hope you will feel that way after we get done looking at it tonight. Because I couldn't wait to come and share it with you tonight. I think it'll be an encouragement to you. This chapter reminds us of several things. First of all, God prevails. Second, God's promises are trustworthy. Third, that God provides for His people and God protects His people. And we're going to see all of these and more tonight in Revelation chapter 12. As we get into this chapter tonight, here's what we're going to be looking at. John is going to be describing the nation of Israel as a woman. He's going to be describing Satan as a great dragon. And he's going to be showing us that down through history, in a sense, these two have been in constant conflict with each other. Uh, remember, the church is gone. The church has been raptured. We are now in heaven during the uh, events that's taking place being described in Revelation at this point. God now turns his attention back to Israel, that 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, where God has a seven-year period carved out to focus back on the nation of Israel and the world. And so we are introduced to, again, the two great players here, if you will, in this chapter. And yet what we're going to see is that God is behind it all and that, that God is, is in it all. And that's what, again, should bring us to, to glorify and praise and celebrate and magnify God. Uh, why has down through history, why has Satan so hated the nation of Israel and the Jewish people? Because Satan has known that Israel is central and critical to the plan of God. And as Satan, the one who opposes God at all turns, he is going to do everything he can to undermine and thwart the plan of God. And therefore, if Israel is right at the center, if Israel and the Jewish people are critical to God's plan, then no wonder he devotes much of his attention and has down through history upon the Jewish people. So once again, we are introduced to, in Revelation 12, John says, I saw a great sign appearing in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet. Notice that she is sheltered by the sun and she is supported by the moon. And she has on her head a crown of 12 stars. I again believe that this woman being described based upon Genesis 37, the dream of Joseph, seeing in a sense the nation of Israel that way as well, that this is referring to the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation here, this woman who is sheltered by the sun, supported by the moon, and has a crown of 12 stars, the 12 tribes of Israel. As long as the sun and moon are visible, the Jews will continue as a people. Now notice, she was pregnant and was screaming in laboring pain, struggling to give birth. God here is condensing a lot, obviously, in history. He's going to remind us 
that obviously Jesus, being a Jew, came through Jewish line, through the Jewish nation, specifically through the tribe of Judah. But all that's taking place here, and even did at the birth of Christ, with the Redeemer coming through the nation of Israel as well, actually goes back to a promise that God made even to the serpent in the garden. I want you to keep your finger in Revelation and go back to Genesis 3.15 and show you where this struggle and where this contest between especially Israel and Satan and, and this conflict between good and evil really started. Genesis 3.15 After God curses the serpent, he says in Genesis 3.15, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Now, not only again is he talking here about Eve in this context, but he's going to go on to talk about her ancestry, if you will. And ultimately, the, the, the seed of the woman that's going to change the equation is going to be Jesus Christ coming through, obviously, Mary at Bethlehem. All the way back in Genesis, this was God's promise. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head and you will attack her offspring's heel. And so we have there even the prediction of God that from the very beginning, Satan knew that God's plan was going to be to bring offspring through the woman and that somehow that was going to be the answer was that way. And that's why ever since this time, way back even in the Garden of Eden, there has been this struggle between what God, again, what His plan and purpose was, what His promise was, and what Satan was trying to do to undermine and thwart it all. So back now to Revelation chapter 12. We also see again in verse 2, she was pregnant. Notice there's no mention of a father. Because technically speaking, Mary obviously was a virgin. And, and the child that she had, that she was conceiving, was uh, of no earthly father, but was of the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 3, another sign appeared. And notice how important it is that these two signs are meant to find juxtaposition with each other. They are to highlight if you will, the contest between God's promise to the woman back in Genesis 3.15 and the intention of the dragon to undermine God's work when he says, another sign appeared in heaven, a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns and on its heads were seven diadem crowns. We're going to get into this more as we go through Revelation, but I just want to touch on it here tonight. What the dragon represents is Satan. And Satan, the Bible teaches us, is going to be in control of different entities at the end of time. These entities are going to primarily be the movers and shakers in the world. They are going to control the political landscape on the world stage, as it will. And he's going to work through those entities. Now, even just like today, we see even in our, our time right now that these nations and these affiliations and all this is still shifting. And, and nothing is settled yet. It's all setting up, though, for the end time. And that's why I say, 
Keep your eye on Syria. Keep your eye on what's happening in Ukraine and with Russia and with the realignment in Europe and all of this. Because there's going to be these entities that end up being under the control and power of Satan to bring about the kingdom of the Antichrist. And all of that foundation is already being laid with the restlessness and the chaos in the world today and the world trying to figure all this out on their own apart from divine influence. So the red dragon is introduced, the woman is introduced, and we are just simply told that this dragon is going to work through these entities uh, at the end of time. Then it says, verse 4, the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. I believe this is talking about the rebellion against God when Satan's high influence uh, swept a third of the angels away with him in rebellion against God. Then it says, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, I want to go back, though, before that. Because I want to show us tonight, and hopefully again, this will encourage us. This will remind us again about how great God is and why we should worship Him and why we should praise Him even for the activity and the promises in our own life. Because what we see throughout history is that every time, even before Mary, every time Satan tried to undermine and thwart God's promise and God's plan, he never succeeded. Go all the way back even to Genesis, where Cain murdered his brother Abel. That, that I believe, was actually the first time that Satan is trying to... There weren't many people at that point on earth. And even then, Satan, very early on... Because remember, Jesus described Satan as a murderer from the beginning. And even early on in the book of Genesis, after the fall, what happens? Cain kills his brother Abel. Able. And so you're beginning to see how Satan is trying to thwart and undermine the plan of God. Then you go on into Exodus and you see where Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt is trying to wipe out the Jewish nation and where Pharaoh decided to kill all the Hebrew children that were born and how Moses had to be even miraculously saved through that. Then you come on up through the Old Testament and you come to the book of Esther and you see a man named Haman who was trying to wipe out the entire Jewish race. And then you go on up and you introduce to someone named Adaliah and she tried to wipe out the entire entire royal line of Judah when she was alive. And on and on and on we go, you see, throughout history. And then you come to this, where we read in the Gospels that Herod, during the birth of Jesus, tried to kill and did all the babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Satan has always tried to undermine the plan and purposes of God, but he was never able to do so. Even after the birth of Jesus... We have still seen throughout history how Satan has been so antagonistic upon the Jewish people, even using a willing instrument like Hitler and the Holocaust to try to wipe out the Jewish nation. Again, at every turn, this is what's happening. It can be traced all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where the serpent was told, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have a plan. My plan is this. I know you're going to try to stop me but you will not stop me. You and I need to be encouraged by that. 
all the time throughout our lives and, and the life of that God has planned for us. Satan can attack. Enemies can attack. They can oppose. But I'm telling you, God is on the throne. God is in control. And, and God is going to make sure that His plan and purposes are carried out no matter how much opposition, no matter what the enemy does, you see. This is what we see in the Word of God. And this is what we see happening here. So the woman, verse 5, gave birth to a son. We know that. His name was Jesus, a male child, who is going to rule over all the nations with an iron rod. One day, firm and unyielding. Her child then was suddenly caught up to God and to His throne. Again, a lot is condensed here. John is condensing the whole life of Jesus into he was born and then he was caught up, you see. So a lot being condensed, which is why then when you come to verse 6, and they're going back now to the woman, that this now is taking place within this tribulation period where the Bible says she, the woman, the Jewish nation, many people within Israel fled into the wilderness where a place had been prepared for her by God so she could be taken care of for 1260 days, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And notice something there. God knows what's going to happen before it happens. And God has a place already prepared for those in Israel to flee to so that the Antichrist and all of his minions can't reach them during that three and a half years so that they are protected. By the way, this word prepared is the exact same word that Jesus uses in John 14 when he talks about not a place that God is preparing on earth, but a place God is preparing for heaven for those of us who love him. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. God has a place, a place prepared before we even get there. And we have to realize that in God's provision, God has a place prepared for us for what's next. He's already went before us. We don't have to fear what we don't know yet. We don't have to fear the future because whatever God is leading us to, it's already been prepared for us. You see, that's what the nation of Israel is realizing here. He has a special place of protection prepared for them. Keep your finger there. Again, in Revelation 12, go back to the Gospel of Matthew 24. This is why Jesus says these words while he's on earth to the Jewish people that he's talking to. Matthew 24. Look at verse 15. This is the turning point during the tribulation. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's when things are going to shift for the Jewish people in the tribulation. The first three and a half years, there's going to be peace with the Israel nation. They're going to be allowed to reinstitute their sacrifices and have the temple and all of that. But in the middle of that seven-year tribulation, things are going to change and the Antichrist is going to go into that rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and he's going to blaspheme and he's going to set up an abomination of desolation and he's going to turn against the Jewish people and, and Satan is going to try to use the Antichrist again to wipe out the Jewish nation. But God has other plans. Notice what Jesus says. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains to that place that Jesus has prepared. The one on the roof must not come down to take anything out of his house. The one in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. In other words, you've got to get out and you've got to get out quickly. You've got to get to that place of safety quickly. 
The one in the field must not turn back. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing their babies in those days. Because that's going to be a rough and quick trip. But you got to get out. Because the only place of protection is the one that God has already prepared. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great suffering unlike any that has happened from the beginning of the world until now or ever will happen. Then if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 31 real quick to verse 2. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31. Look here. Look at what the Lord says. The Lord says, The people of Israel who survived death at the hands of the enemy will find favor in the wilderness as they journey to find rest for themselves. This is referring to that time where God has prepared a place of protection in the wilderness for the Jewish people for three and a half years so that the Antichrist cannot reach them or touch them. My friends, if God is protecting this people, if he's providing for them like this, can we not trust him to protect and provide for us today? This is what Revelation chapter 12 should be reminding us of. This is what Revelation chapter 12 should be teaching us. That no matter what the enemy, no matter what the opposition does, God will prevail. God's people will prevail. God's promises are trustworthy. God will provide for His people. And God will protect His people. Back to Revelation 12. Then verse 7. Now I don't know about you, but... This is one of those couple verses. It's like, wow, what's that going to be like? I, I can't tell you. I don't know what a war between angels looks like. But we're going to find out someday. Because here's what the Bible also says in verse 7. The Bible says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael, by the way, whose name means, Who is like God? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. He did not have enough power to withstand Michael and the other angels. So there was no longer any place left in heaven for him and his angels. Don't forget what the Bible teaches here. The Bible is teaching us that up to this point in history, Satan had access in heaven. We even know that from books like Job, where Satan appeared before God and had a conversation with him, you see. Now at this point, he is no longer allowed in heaven after this great war. And what we see again is that Michael and his angels... Notice God doesn't even have to get involved here. Notice Jesus doesn't even have to get involved here. Again, people get so... It's like they, they put Satan up and, and, and demons on such a pedestal that, it, that it's ridiculous. Should they be respected? Absolutely. But folks, they're angels. They're created beings. They're no different than Michael and his angels. God is the uncreated. God is the eternal, supreme Lord and master of the universe. He has no equal. He has no companion. There is no one like God. And therefore, he doesn't even have to get involved. If G Jesus doesn't even have to get involved with this war. Because Satan and the angels, if they're no match for Michael and his angels, then they certainly are no match for Jesus. You see... So they are found no more in heaven. So here's what happens. 
The Bible says in verse 9, the huge dragon, the ancient serpent, which the language reminds us of just how age old this struggle is between Satan and between God, between good and evil, between especially Satan and in this context, the, the Israel, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people because they are so central and critical to God's plan. And notice, he's called the devil. It means slander. It means accuser. And then Satan, the one who opposes and who deceives the whole world, who leads the world from truth into error. Folks, there's so much we could say about that. But that, again, just reminds us how important it is that you and I be people who saturate ourselves, our minds and our hearts with truth. Because Satan is a master deceiver. And he's always leading people from truth into error. Remember what the Bible says, 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We saw that verse last week. Remember what Jesus said about Satan. There is no truth in Satan, Jesus says. He says he is a liar. In fact, Jesus says Satan is the father of lies, John 8, 44. So we know that there's no truth in, in the dragon. That there's no truth in Satan at all. He is a deceiver. And this is what he's characterized as here in the book of Revelation. But notice, he was thrown down to earth and his angels along with him. Now, we're going to come back and end with the verses 10 through verse uh, 12. But I want to jump over to verse 13. Because I want, I want to, you to see in progression here what's happened now. Up to this point in history, in middle ways through the tribulation, Satan is finally thrown out of heaven. And he comes down to earth. And now we see in verse 13, when the dragon realized that he had been thrown or cast down to the earth, he pursues the woman again, who had given birth to the male child. Once again, he's after Israel, he's after the Jewish people because he knows, especially during that seven-year tribulation, that's who God's working through. The 144,000 evangelists, the two witnesses we saw a couple of weeks ago. And he's primarily, if anyone is going to be saved during the tribulation, and they will, they're going to be saved primarily through the Jewish people during the tribulation. Obviously, again, the church is no longer there. Notice what it says, though. The woman was given two wings of a giant eagle so that she could fly out into the wilderness. Supernaturally assisted by God to the place God prepared for her, again, where she can be taken care of, where she can be nourished and supported, away from the presence of the serpent. Again, beyond his reach, he has, he has no ability to access because God is protecting these people. God is providing for them supernaturally. Again, folks, this is our God. And, and if he's going to do this during the darkest hour of human history, can we not trust him to provide and protect us today? Do we not realize he will prevail? Do we not trust that his promises are trustworthy? This is why Revelation chapter 12 to me is such a powerfully encouraging chapter. He goes on to say this is going to be for three and a half years. And then he says in verse 15, 
The serpent spouted water like a river out of his mouth, chasing after the woman. I believe in the Bible many times the water is used figuratively of many peoples. I, I think that what Satan is going to do is the Bible teaches he's going to draw many, many people to, to try to chase a- after them and to try to destroy them. But notice again what God does. Even though the, the, the serpent tries to sweep them away, By a flood, verse 16, the earth came to her rescue. I believe that God is, again, supernaturally going to protect his people. Maybe just like he did in Moses' day, when literally the earth came apart and swallowed up Korah and all those who were in rebellion against Moses and his divine leadership uh, that he was given by God. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but the principle is this. Again, Satan tries to, to thwart and undermine God's purposes and plan. He tries to destroy God's people. And at every turn, Satan is the one who is undermined. Satan is the one who is thwarted. God ultimately prevails and protects and provides for his own. And so the Bible says that uh, the earth came to the rescue, the ground opened up and swallowed the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So then the dragon became enraged. It means he became extremely agitated because, again, every time he tries to make a move, God just one-ups him. See, in this, and this is no game, please, I'm, I'm not making light of this at all, but to me, this, this especially for those of you that play chess, may, may give you a visual. Every time Satan tries to checkmate, tries to attack the opposing king, to the point where the king or the, the, the person has no move or no way out, it never works that way. See, with God, there's always an escape. With God, there's always a way out. There never is a place throughout history where Satan somehow backs God into a corner and says, checkmate, it doesn't work that way. In fact, it's just the opposite. One day, God's going to back all those who oppose him into a corner, and there will be no escape with that. But it's not God who's backed in. It's not God's people who are ever backed into a corner and have no escape or no way out. We always have a way. God will always make a way for his people. Even when they're backed up to the Red Sea and the mightiest army on earth is chasing after them, God will part that sea and let his people through. That's the kind of God we have. And that's why we can be encouraged today. So we go on. The dragon became enraged at the woman and went after to make war on the rest of her children. Those who weren't able to escape into the wilderness. He's going to try to get some of them, right? Those who keep God's commandments and hold to the testimony about Jesus. And then some of you may have this verse as verse 1 in chapter 13. The Net Bible has it as the last verse in chapter 12. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. And the reason it pictures him there is because he's so frustrated. He's so infuriated that that he can't get his hands on the people that he wants to get his hands on that he stands on the seashore. The seashore and the sea represent in the Bible a very restless and chaotic nations of the world. And it's going to picture Satan just looking out over the restless, chaotic nations of the world and looking for an instrument in which he can work through. And we're going to be introduced to those instruments next week in chapter 13. So we see here these two parts. We see the first part where we're introduced to, again, these 
players, if you will, the main players in chapter 12. And we see this conflict and struggle and contest. And yet behind it all is a God who prevails, a God who provides, a God who protects, and a God whose promises are trustworthy. Which brings us to these last couple of verses that I wanted to end with today because they have such application even for you and I today as well. Notice as Satan is thrown down to earth that there is a response of rejoicing in heaven. It says in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and power and kingdom of our God and ruling authority of His Christ have now come. You see, We know that the the kingdom of Jesus is close now because Satan has been expelled from heaven and thrown down to earth. And that's a marker for anyone who has wisdom to know, okay, the kingdom now isn't far away. By the way, before we get into these verses for us, let me say this. I hope this will encourage you as well. You see a progression of Satan's fall throughout the Bible. You see this great cherub, this anointed cherub that God had created, the highest of heights in the presence of God who fell as Lucifer and fell from from a most holy place to a profane place. Then we see Satan taken from heaven Also, a place of privilege that he's allowed for a long time in in history. And now he's thrown from heaven down to earth. Then we're going to see Satan taken from earth. And at the end of uh, of the tribulation, he's then going to be thrown into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. So you can see, here he was. He was at the highest of heights. And he continues to fall down from heaven, then to earth, then to the bottomless pit. Then the Bible teaches he's let out of the bottomless pit to to sort of uh, lead one final rebellion against God in the battle of Gog and Magog. Uh, And then finally, the Bible says he's cast from the bottomless pit into the lake of fire where he will be forever and ever. Now think about this. Because I want you again to juxtapose Satan's fall to our elevation. Because the Bible teaches we were as pretty low as you could go. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And yet through the Lord Jesus Christ, we were elevated and we were raised And we keep going from having a relationship with Christ to then one day seeing Him and being like Him for we will see Him as He is and being heirs and joint heirs with Christ and ruling and reigning with Christ. And we go from the lowest of pits to the highest of heights. What a difference. The one who was on top is going to end up at the bottom. And those of us who were on the bottom, dead in our trespasses and sins one day, through Jesus Christ, are going to be on top with Him. Not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because of His grace, He allows us to be lifted up to that height. So notice what John also says then. He says, The accuser of our brothers and sisters, that would be the devil, the one who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down. I want to remind you of this. This is one of Satan's great strategies. He, the Bible says, is continually accusing brothers and sisters, the family of God, accusing us. Before who? Before God. 
just like he did in the book of Zechariah. He's accusing us all the time. He's throwing up our sin and our failure and our failings and everything in our face all the time. We have an advocate. We have an advocate, the Bible says. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 1 John 2, 1. Who stands before God and is our defense. That's something to praise God for. See, every time Satan accuses us before God, Jesus is there to defend us before God. We don't have to defend ourselves before our accuser. The Bible teaches us we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is our advocate. And then the Bible says this. You want to know how to have victory in your life as a Christian? John gives us three keys to victory in the Christian life right here. How do we conquer? How do we overcome? Here's what John says. It's the same for them in the book of Revelation as it is for us today. Verse 11. Keep this verse in mind. They overcame him. Who? Our accuser. They conquered him. They were victorious over him. Three ways. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and the fact that they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Let's go back and just quickly talk about these. First of all, how do we overcome? How do we conquer? Through the blood of the Lamb. See, when Satan accuses us before God, what he's actually doing is he's attacking the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because it is in Christ's righteousness that we stand anyway. We have no standing before God in our own righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness, our self-righteousness, is like filthy rags before God. The only way any human being can stand before God is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how we stand. And that's how we overcome, not in our own righteousness, but through the perfect, sinless blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. And when the accuser and when our enemies attack us, what they are really doing is attacking Jesus Christ because we don't stand before God and we have no standing before God. Again, in our own works or in our own righteousness, we only stand before God in his righteousness. That's how we overcome, folks. That's how we do it. You keep standing in the blood of Jesus. You keep overcoming in his righteousness, not our own. Secondly, the power of your personal testimony. That is so important. Notice what he says. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. Our personal testimony is so important. And I'm not just even talking about our account of how we came to faith in Christ. I'm talking about what we believe. It's important that we let people know what we believe. And sometimes, can I say, without I hope you thinking I'm crazy, that sometimes I will even stand there by myself and I will shout out what I believe. Because I need to remind myself, what do I really believe? And we need to let the enemy and all those who oppose us know what we believe. Because we win this through the Word of God and what we believe. You see, that's our testimony. That's our creed. We believe these things and we hold to them. And they can be such power in our lives, especially when we are under attack spiritually. 
That's why we need to know what we believe and we need to cling to what we believe and hold to what we believe and have strong spiritual convictions because it is by the word of our testimony that we overcome. And then finally, it's by our commitment. It's by our consecration. It's by our devotion. It's by our love for God that is so strong that it drives our choices and actions even to the point that if we give up our lives, we know that our death is just meaning that we continue our eternal life with God in heaven. That's what these people did. They loved God so much. They were so committed to their relationship with God that even if it meant physical death, It didn't matter. That's the kind of commitment these people had. That's how you overcome. That's how I overcome. That's how we conquer. That's how we're victorious. We're victorious because of our love and commitment to God. We're victorious because of our personal testimony. We're victorious because of the blood of Christ and standing in His righteousness and not our own. Remember the words of Jesus that illustrate what Satan is doing here in Revelation 12 and what he's done ever since he fell. Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But we can overcome. We can overcome. Because God prevails. And when we follow God, we will prevail. We will walk in His victory. God's promises can be trusted. God will provide and protect for His own. Revelation 12 is laying out an amazing amount of information about what's going to happen historically one day to the Jewish people. And how Satan is going to use the Antichrist and other nations of the world once again to come upon the Jewish people and try to wipe them out from the face of the earth. And how God is going to have the last word. And my friends, God is going to have the last word on our lives. And God is the one who should define us. Not anyone else, not even ourselves. Because God prevails. So let's go back to end tonight with a verse that I shared with those before we worship tonight, go back to the book of Isaiah. To Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. Besides Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, a, a verse that, that, that you probably want to saturate your mind with and commit maybe to memory or meditate on, Here's another verse I'd like to encourage you to do the same thing with. This is a verse that that at, at the end of this great chapter where God is saying to His people once again, I will restore you. I will provide for you. And I'm ultimately going to have the last word. And then He ends this great, this great chapter of encouragement for His people by saying this. Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon forged to be used against you will succeed. You will refute everyone who tries to accuse you. This is what the Lord will do for His servants. I will vindicate them, says the Lord. This is exactly what was happening in Revelation 12. And folks, this is exactly what happens in our lives when we trust the Lord. He will vindicate His servants, those who trust 
in him. He will protect us. He will provide for us. We will prevail in his victory. How great thou art. What a great, amazing God we have. And I, I, don't, I don't know what I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with. But here's what I believe God wants you to focus on. Remember, Satan is the master distractor. He wants you to get your eyes and minds off of God and off of His truth. And the best thing that we can do as believers in Jesus Christ is to hold to our testimony and keep bringing our minds and our hearts back to to focusing on God and focusing on His Word. Because I will leave you again with this. If Revelation 12 doesn't teach us anything else, it teaches us this. God will prevail. God's promises are trustworthy. God will protect those who are His. God will provide for those who are His. Trust Him. Trust Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this amazing chapter taken from Your Word. We have seen, Lord, tonight just a glimpse and just some brief examples down through history of how Satan has tried to thwart and undermine Your plan and purpose even for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. No wonder Jesus even said to His people, the church, a same principle. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He promises His people that if we look to Him, we will prevail. We will be provided for. We will be protected. He will preserve us. He will restore us. He will see us through anything and everything. And so God, I pray tonight that whether we think about the example of the nation of Israel, whether we think about our own life or Lord, whatever, that Lord, we begin to recount all the times that Lord, you have been true to your word. And all the times that though the enemy is still allowed to attack, And though the enemy is still allowed to to have weapons and to use those weapons, you have taught us very clearly that if we will put on the armor of God, that we can stand against all attack. And that the only power that the enemy or any enemy or any other human being has in our lives is because we give them and grant them that power. They could never have it on their own over us. And so, God, I pray tonight that you would encourage your people only like you can. And God, remind us that we have victory in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all for being here tonight. Thank you. We'll see you on Sunday.